This is an Odyssey original. This is the War in Ukraine Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. And I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. The Ukrainian city of Mariupol continues to represent the worst horrors of Russia's invasion. Bloody urban combat, repeated targeting by the Russian military, the bombardment. There's thought to be thousands of civilians killed there. We'll talk with one woman who made it out. The Biden administration warning businesses be on the lookout for Russian cyber attacks. If those do come in and hit us hard, could it spark a military response? More and more Ukrainian refugees and even some Russians are showing up at the U.S.-Mexican border with the intention of making it into the United States. We'll take a closer look at how officials are handling these complex new migrant patterns. But we start with an escape from Mariupol. Maria and her teenage brother escaped that port city near Ukraine's eastern border with Russia earlier this month, which has since been under heavy Russian attack. Her parents stayed behind to help out in any way they can before also leaving recently. Maria is with us now. Thank you uh, for talking and taking the time to talk with us. What part of Ukraine are you in now? I'm on the west part of Ukraine. It's for now the safest place in so, Ukraine. So near Lviv, something like that? Um, not Lviv, Zakarpatsk Oblast. Or the Zakarpatsk region. Okay, so a safer place uh, relative to where you were coming from. What was it like for, for you and the brother to make that journey? And then your parents, as we said, they recently were able to, to get out? Yeah, it was a really hard journey journey for us, uh, for me and my younger brother. Uh, we escaped uh, on the 3rd of March. It was the third day of uh, total blockade. And uh, for us, it was really um, terrifying what was going on in Mariupol. You know, just uh, constant bombing and... Uh, no light, no gas, uh, no water, and, uh, uh, you know, you're just uh, thinking in this uh, situation how to survive. And that's all thoughts that you have in mind, how to survive. And uh, for me, it was really a disaster, and uh, I couldn't uh, eat uh, I couldn't drink, and I understood that uh, I just will die. And that's why I decided to escape. And uh, I escaped. Uh, and uh, I was on the road for, you know, 48 hours. And uh, with stops, but still it was really hard. Uh, Maria, to... tell me tell me a little bit about uh, you yeah. and, and, and your family. You're, you and your brother, you mentioned your younger brother. How old are you? How yeah. old is your brother? I'm 28 and uh, my brother is uh, 16. Before the war, so not that long ago, uh, what did yeah. all of you folks do in Ukraine? What, what was your life like before this happened? Oh, you know, we just lived our happy life. <laughs> uh, what we were doing, we were working, <laughs> uh, we were working, uh, just uh, building our lives uh, like dreams, you know, 
I lived uh, in uh, uh, Kiev for, for some time, and uh, on the 23rd of uh, March, I visited uh, Mariupol, uh, visited my parents, relatives, uh, friends, uh, and uh, uh, for example, we walked uh, in a park, and uh, Mariupol actually was an amazing city because they just destroyed everything there. Uh, you know, I, we just, we had so many beautiful parks, uh, seashore, and, uh, uh, you know, even uh, beautiful industrial, industrial uh, uh, landscapes, uh, they were so, so, you know, close to heart, and uh, for now it just, everything was destroyed. What is it like to, to think about it now, to know what's happened now to a place that was that was so beautiful? Uh, you know, I, I think I just can't even for now imagine it. I, I see photos, but I don't believe them. I, I, I can't. And uh, even uh, today, uh, our neighbors uh, which escaped uh, today, they sent us a video of uh, uh, our home, and uh, uh, we lived in uh, a high-rise building, uh, and uh, it burned out. The entire, the entire building is burnt out. The entire building. The entire building with, uh, I don't have home anymore actually and your parents same thing yes yes it was our flat where we lived Do so you... today today i became homeless <laughs> maria do, do you and your family i mean it, it, it this is all happening obviously so quickly yeah. but you must be starting to think i i would imagine what your future is going to be like. Do you have a a sense of, of where you go from here, what you do from here? Uh, I just can't even imagine what to do um, and what my parents will do. You know, when you're escaping from that hell, uh, you can, you, you know, your horizon of planning, it is very small. For a first week, you can plan just for, I don't know, two hours, one day. That's all you can plan. That, that's all time for what you can plan anything. One day, not, not, uh, not more. And uh, uh, now... I feel that I can plan, for example, for a week, but not uh, further, because uh, it is uh, very, it is, it, everything is very frustrating. And, you know, I, I th I'm thinking about maybe, maybe go to Europe, but uh, then I see what's going on in Ukraine, and I understand that if Ukraine won't stand, it will happen to Europe. And then where I should go? 
I don't know. It's a, uh, it's a, a very frustrating and very terrifying even because uh, for now I understand that even Europe won't be safe enough if I want to escape uh, from Russia uh, aggression. You... Because, uh, you know, Europe uh, now taking Russians, uh, like we're calling them McDonald's refugee. Uh, and uh, so they will come to rescue them, guys. That's, uh, that's a disaster, I think. We mentioned that your parents were able to get out of the city. Uh, have you? Yeah. Are they with you or are you still trying to get to them or are they trying to get to you? And you must have been so worried on the outside when they were still there. I can't even imagine. Yeah, I haven't heard from them more than a week. And I was so nervous. I just couldn't even sleep. I just didn't know if they're alive or they are dead or what happened. And uh, it, that's uh, a really huge relief in their life. And uh, I'm now helping them to find places to save, to stay on the road because they are really exhausted. They are really tired, exhausted and uh, in a shock. You know, uh, my father, when he escaped for at first day, they called me and he told me that he will return to Mariupol in few day, in a few days. Hmm. It was a shock. Maria, Maria what what are your thoughts about uh, Russia, Russians? Do you do you uh, distinguish? between the Russian government and the Russian people, or do you have a feeling that is, is sort of a blanket feeling now about Russia and Russians? There is no distinguish. You know, there is no, really. I know Russians. I have relatives. I have Russian relatives. And uh, they're totally zombied by their government. They're totally zombied. Have you, you talked? Have you, yeah. Maria? Have you talked or tried to talk with your relatives in Russia? Or what do they tell you if of you have? Of course, of course, I talked to them. I told them, "Hi, there are missiles under my uh, missile under my window in my yard. Uh, come on, come and tell something. Do something at least. I don't know. You're my relatives. How how can you not doing anything?" And you know what they told me? Uh, just stay home. Just stay home and don't go. They will destroy just military objects. Guys, I'm not a military object. Come on. <laughs> but uh, I have a piece of muscle in uh, my uh, flat. Uh, they, they, you know, they... Uh, watching uh, Russian TV and just try for one, uh, for at once try to watch it. It's that's a real hell. They are just there is no a word of truth. And uh, and uh, when I talked to my relatives, you know, I told them, hey, uh, they are killing us. You know, they they erased Mariupol from the earth totally. 80% destroyed. And uh, 
they're still uh, just uh, in the silence. You said zombies to the to the propaganda on TV. Um, Maria, thank you for talking to us. Maria there and her teenage brother got out of the port city of Mariupol. Her parents, they were able to get out. Uh, they are on the way. She's trying to find them places to stay. And uh, our hearts go out to you and the, the family, and, and we're so sorry about you losing your home. And again, thank you for speaking to us. President Biden warning companies watch out for cyber attacks. They're going to come in from Russia. He says it'd be a form of retaliation against the U.S. for sanctions, other actions taken against Russia since the war started. Cyber attacks originating from Russia wouldn't be something new, but would an escalation of these attacks by Russian intelligence or Russian organized crime call for a response? Could NATO even get involved? Aaron David Miller is a senior fellow at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace and CNN Global Affairs Analyst. With the intensity of the warnings of uh, imminent cyber attacks, do you get the sense that the White House has really good intelligence that these attacks are coming? First of all, it's good to, to talk to Mike and Charles, and thanks for having me back. Uh, look, the Biden administration has been incredibly transparent since this crisis began. I mean, for weeks uh, before the invasion, they basically laid out intel, intelligence that um, was basically pretty unprecedented in terms of its level of detail in an effort to uh, sort of dominate the information space and perhaps, perhaps, although I think they probably realized this was, would not be possible, to deter Putin from actually projecting his power into Ukraine. Here's another example of trying to get a jump on uh, the Russian leader uh, to basically uh, brief the American public that in fact, cyber is not only an option, an option but I think they're picking up, well, I know they're picking up signals that um, Russia is in the quote unquote preparatory stages um, for the possibility of serious cyber warfare uh, against Ukraine and the United States. Uh, Biden would not be alerting the American public given the, our dependence, um, I think I'll change my, all my passwords, um, on, on the web uh, and on, on virtual space um, if they didn't have a, a pretty good indication that something is coming. And I think that's where we, we are now. And one last point here. You know, Putin has blown through so many um, uh, norms and standards. Uh, so the notion of blowing through another, which wouldn't be a ransomware attack against like solar winds attack in 2020, but would be attack designed to target underwater cables, industrial uh, control centers, uh, major infrastructure, the financial industry, um, any of the media networks uh, whose coverage he doesn't like uh, is a serious possibility. Yeah. So then what happens then? Because that's an entirely different thing, right, in terms of escalation and, and, and a back and forth that could get started rather than just, hey, he's going to slow down things and, and mess with them for, for a day or two. And we can all kind of weather that storm or, or launch more ransomwares and, and we deal with that. But if he's knocking out pieces of the Internet or critical infrastructure, then we would have to respond right we would and and again there's so many uh disturbing rabbit holes down which to go here um a, a, you know a cyber attack frankly um could, could be terrifyingly destructive 
But you know, Putin has just has thought about the clearly thought about the possibility of deploying biological or chemical weapons in Ukraine. And even although it was, it's still unimaginable to me. It's very real the possibility of deploying a small tactical nuclear weapon, either as a demonstration effect of what he could do, or an actual use of such a weapon with a low nuclear yield on the battlefield. So the idea of a major attack against the United States, I think, is certainly very real. And yes, we would have to respond. I mean, I, again, the last time we Congress was asked for a formal declaration of war, believe it or not, was 1943, when Roosevelt asked for a declaration of war against Hungary, Bulgaria, and Romania, who were Axis allies. So a major attack against critical infrastructure in this country would, in fact, be um, a, de a declaration of economic war, just as, and I suspect this is what's really bothering Putin, the economic nuclear bomb that we, that we in the international community have dropped on, dropped on Russia. He's angry, he's aggrieved, and, and over time, he'll grow more so. You know, and you mentioned that if the Russians were to launch a cyber attack on the U.S., we would be forced to respond. But can we presume that that we're not all that aren't we doing that already to the Russians in terms of cyber attacks? Well, I I think well, first of all, there are cyber attacks and there are cyber attacks. Okay. And again, I don't I don't I'm I'm not a cyber expert and I don't play one on radio or television. But it, it, there's a difference between uh, discrete, targeted, and focused cyber attacks designed to disrupt Russian military communications, uh, and one that is um, directed at critical Russian infrastructure. Um, I mean, Russia is going to be is already a different country. Lenin, Vladimir Lenin, once said that some weeks contain decades. Well, for the Russian public, um, Russia, the Russia they knew has come to an end. The ruble is worthless. Um, you've got a huge brain drain, brain drain. Prices are surging, particularly in areas like elect electronics. Russians are buying up as much surplus as they possibly can. Um, there are no flights going to much of the world as a consequence of our sanctions. Life is going to become harder than it was. So uh, if the Russians choose to, to, to force a response from the administration, I suspect we will, we will respond proportionally. And if, in fact, it is a major threat against critical infrastructure, um, we will do the same. Aaron David Miller, Senior Fellow, the Carnegie Endowments for International Peace. Border officials in both the U.S. and Mexico, they're dealing with a surge of migrants. They're not coming from Central or South America. They're coming from Ukraine, and even some are coming from Russia. It's something that was going on even before the war, but the numbers from Ukraine have increased lately. So what are both governments doing to address this issue? With us is Jessica Bolter, Associate Policy Analyst with the U.S. Immigration Policy Program at the Migration Policy Institute. How much of an increase are we seeing in Ukrainians and Russians trying to cross the southern U.S.-Mexico border. We have certainly, we know that we've seen increases in Ukrainians and Russians as well in 
uh, fiscal year 2021 and the first five months of fiscal year 2022, which is October through February. Uh, but we don't know how many have yet come in March, uh, which is when we'll likely start to really see the effects of the invasion show up. Does American law treat someone coming from either Russia now or certainly Ukraine uh, differently than they would uh, having somebody come from uh, you know, Central America or, or from, from Mexico? Is there a distinction between a refugee as opposed to somebody who uh, is crossing the border or wants to cross the border because they want to live in another country, meaning this one? Right. So anyone who uh, shows up at the U.S. border, in theory, uh, should be able to apply for asylum regardless of their nationality. But because since March 2020, we have had uh, this policy called Title 42 in place as a result of the pandemic, which allows border officials to uh, immediately expel migrants uh, without providing them access to asylum, that has changed. And we've seen in uh, recent weeks that the uh, Border Patrol has started to put in place an exception largely for Ukrainians um, and has been allowing them access to the asylum system when they show up at ports of entry along the border even though they're uh, still not allowing access to asylum for people who are coming from uh, most other countries when they show up at those ports. Yeah, and in the reports that we are seeing, we've got some people from Central America saying, okay, um, we don't feel this is fair because, you know, we've been waiting and we need asylum and we need to get into the country, but they're moving Ukrainian people to the front of the line and maybe they're getting some sort of refugee status or something like that. And then also some Russians saying, well, Ukrainians are getting to go through, but but we're not. And I can't go back to Russia because I don't agree with the war. And maybe that's not the thing that'll get you in. But if you really feel like you'd be persecuted if you go back, if you've said things and they have these new laws now, then uh, maybe is that more of a reason that you could get into this country? Uh, yes, uh, th theoretically, uh, maybe it it should be. But um, and there are, I should say, there are humanitarian exceptions made on a case by case basis uh, in terms of uh, migrants who are who might be particularly vulnerable and then allowed into the U.S. at these ports to seek asylum, but that's that's certainly not the norm. And I think that the fact that Russians who are fleeing persecution for objecting to the same conflict that the Ukrainians are fleeing uh, and they still can't ask for asylum really makes the the arbitrariness of this policy in place at the border crystal clear. But at the same time, um, there, there are plenty of Central Americans, uh, you know, Nicaraguans, Venezuelans fleeing persecution who also haven't been able to uh, enter at these ports of entry since March 2020. If someone is coming from Ukraine uh, and they want to come to the U.S. Uh, and stay here, why do they have to go through through Mexico? Why can't they just, you know, fly into New York or or uh, Chicago or Los Angeles? Right. So, if someone has 
a tourist visa already or another type of visa, uh, say a student visa, um, or, uh, or if they have a family member sponsoring them for a green card, then they can fly into the US. But it has become much harder for anyone from these countries to get uh, tourist visas or any, uh, any non-permanent visas because uh, in order to get a tourist visa, they essentially have to prove that they intend to go back to their home country. And that's very difficult for Ukrainians to do at this point. Uh, and so Mexico does not uh, require as extensive a visa process for these individuals. Um, it allows them to fly into Mexico uh, with just uh, by, by just submitting their passport information and flight information beforehand. Uh, so in the absence of pathways to come into the U.S., uh, many have, have turned to Mexico instead. Is there any for, again, for Ukrainians, if, if there are refugees, is there any kind of special dispensation set up right now, or is it just the, the usual program case-by-case case basis and you would have to get to Mexico and then come to the border, and that's what we're seeing, and then, and then just please your case like anybody else? Right. At the moment, uh, there isn't a special pathway set up. Uh, Ukrainians could uh, apply to the U.S. refugee program. They would have to do that from a country abroad, and that process can take years to go through, so that wouldn't be an, an immediate pathway. So there's essentially no sort of emergency pathway for them to utilize. Jessica Volter there at the Migration Policy Institute. Jessica, thanks. This is an Odyssey original. You can find us and others on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on Stitcher.